didn't know what you were getting into, did you? <laughs> sweet little man, come on a retreat with a sweet little man. <laughs> How are you doing? What is important is to begin to see that there are a few ingredients here that help allow this to arise and to learn to identify what they are and to spend time in places where many can come together. The dog will probably respond faster than the person will. Yeah. And, uh, the, question, the question was, is how do you help others? And, the, and, and he had two, two, um, two people in his life. <laughs> a furry person who came from the kill shelter and a, um, a human being with a, just a very traumatic childhood. A lot of um, most beings respond um, to energy, to kindness. When you're um, caring and calm and kind, most living things feel that. Even my rocks feel that. They, they totally get that. There's a huge difference between putting on a persona of kind and calm and peaceful in order to fix their fear because we don't want them to feel fearful. So it's actually our own need not to suffer that we project a persona that looks like all the things we think it's supposed to look like and actually the real deal, which is that you're just showing up and being present with what's going on for the other person. They'll get it, you know, and sometimes, you know, with different animals they need different things, like sometimes they respond to soothing music or contact or routine or it just will take a while. And, you know, depending on the level of how traumatized they were, there might be a residue of stuff that lingers, but it'll shift. With your friend with the early childhood stuff, 
more complicated. Um, I mean, really what's needed is a whole kind of team of resources. Um, skills with trauma. Uh, <coughs> understanding the emotional impact of the residue of it all. Um, spiritual understanding to recognize that no matter how horrendous it was, her essence, the, the luminous, clear, light nature of her being was not affected. And to remind her of that, or him. It's hard for her to, to sit in meditation. Very hard. Because mm. everything comes up. Yeah, it's not wise. When a person has, you know, chock-a-block full of, full of trauma, it's like, it's really unkind to have them do them sitting meditation. They need to work with uh, somebody who knows how to do trauma and to titrate um, uh, sensations that are unpleasant with sensations that are safe and comforting. Titrate um, means that you don't have something that's painful in too strong a concentration. You, you move back and forth so that there's a right mixture. Yeah. It needs trauma work. And trauma work looks like? It could be EMDR, somatic experiencing. It could be EFT. It could be, I mean, there's, a, there's many yeah. modalities. EFT is something that you can learn online. It's a tapping technique. So when stuff comes up, memories come up, you go through a whole series of tapping. Yeah. yeah. And that can interrupt the pathways that has it ingrained that that's actually, um, and it, that can have good results. The, the somatic experiencing can be really powerful because a lot of this stuff is, is locked in body. And it's like, it's not an emotional problem, it's a physiological one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I should write down. series of letters and look them up on the I should put it on the website. I don't have that on the website. I've got got the somatic experiencing books on the website, but I don't have the other stuff. I should put that on the website. It's good. Thank you for reminding me. stuck into something, you know, like we've somehow grabbed hold of a thought or a feeling or a mood or somehow identified with something, you know, <clears throat> sadness comes and it's got grip, it's got, you know, they call that glue, super glue on it, you know, it's just stuck, you know, then it's hard to go from that place into just letting go of everything. That's quite a huge jump. So, you know, when sadness is there and we're stuck into it, then we need to find balance with that. And once we've found some balance with that, 
then we can move into observing. And then sometimes from observing, then we can drop the whole kit and caboodle and recognize this is just a thought or a mood or a feeling that's arising from a memory. I'm not that. I'm not any of it. But when we're stuck in something, we have to find balance with it before we can usually shift from that to the next thing. So balance when we're feeling angry is to feel a little bit more ground, more perspective. Balance when we're feeling depressed is to have more energy. Balance when we're feeling freaked out and frazzled is to have some stability and calm and equanimity. It's no fun if I answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really powerful question to ask. What's left when everything falls away? You know? Not as a conceptual thing. You know, not as a kind of loop we run in our head but as an exploration, as an inquiry, when we actually begin to see, wow, you know, I'm I'm not my body. I'm not my ethnicity. I'm not my stories. I'm not my woundedness. I'm not my relationships. What am I? I was talking with a dear, very, very, very dear friend. Such a dear friend. And we were talking about, you know, what happens when there are times in life when you experience yourself as the gender that you're not. And how freaky that is. And and that's what happens. 
that can happen that it can happen that you can experience yourself as not the gender who you normally have identified yourself to be and in fact there's a whole kind of path where this is one insight that is something that people will arrive at and navigate and yet if our whole kind of identity is based around our gender, when we're transgressing or we're entering into this insight, it's um, very disorienting, you know? You could come to all kinds of wrong conclusions. And yet, this is what people can experience. That's what can happen. So, most of the stuff that we think is fixed, mm-hmm. you know, put a question mark around it. Mm-hmm. You know, really. You don't need to throw it out the window, but just put a question mark around it and see if it sustains the test of time. You know, really, really. Yes? I'm going to meditation and things are not fixed does it mean that on our daily life we just what happened we fix You know, with different people, it it has different effects. Um, It doesn't mean that our life, by definition, has to disintegrate into chaos. But what it does mean is is that when we plan things, that we do it with a little bit um, less tenacity to know that it might change, you know? It's like... None of us use pencil and paper and date books anymore. We all have computers. But when we did, you know, there was, you could write it in pen or you could write it in pencil. And so with this insight, it's the equivalent of writing our plans in pencil. You know, we make them, but we don't hold on to them as being something that's going to stay fixed. They change. There's a big difference from planning things because it's a, a, a simplification and an easy, you know, it, it, we have to do that because of all of the different people that are involved and to, to let them know and to do it because of the terror of what happens when we're not in control, you know? So planning because it's supportive and conducive and kind <coughs> is one end of the spectrum and planning because there's a fear that if we don't plan, there's going to be a kind of something terrible is going to happen. And there's a big spectrum. So I don't know that it means not to plan, but I think it means that when one plans, one does with a really much more light, lightness in the heart. You know, one of the things that's quite lovely to do, particularly with a group of this who are very seasoned meditators, you know, with the walking meditation, and rather than to tell people who are, you know, very seasoned to go pick a path and walk from here to there, to give them the opposite instructions, don't find a path, mm-hmm. you know, just walk, 
you know, and just see if you can bring the qualities of walking meditation into a an aimless wandering where you don't have a fixed destination. It's not between here and here. You're just walking, you know. Because what can happen is, is, is that we get so identified with the form of what meditation is supposed to look like. So one of the things that's happened for me in the last couple of years since I came back from England, partly because of not living in community, partly because of not having the support that I was used to living in community, I've had to go through a real radical um, exploration, inquiry of what does it mean to be a nun, you know. And I was quite shocked to realize that there are all kinds of things that I had absolutely identified with (laughs) and was really um, shaking when I started opening them up and exploring them. And so even though the life of a monastic is designed for awakening, we are capable of using anything to solidify our position and our ignorance. You know, never underestimate ignorance. It can co-opt anything and use it for its own aim. Anything. But a real, alive, engaged practice is constantly inquiring these places where we've gotten set, signed, delivered, blue chip, and says, really? Really? That's who I am? Really? You know? And opens it up. So, um... We've come to the most exciting part of the day, <laughs> which is lunchtime. <laughs> and um, what I'd like to encourage is, again, to stay with the noble silence, not because it's, I mean, it's so lovely to hang out and chit-chat with people. It's so lovely. But just because, I just hold this little container just a little bit longer. And when you finish eating, if it feels right to walk, please do so. And um, continue walking until we come back in here at um, 11, 12.30, so in an hour. Or maybe to eat and then to do some walking, maybe a quarter to 12. So for walking, add an extra ha- a quarter, a quarter of an hour, quarter to one.